Just note, this episode of In Goal Radio, the podcast, features an interview that is my favorite of all the episodes that we've published so far. It's not the biggest name, does not have the most awards or the most games played in the National Hockey League, but it is honest, it is truthful, and there's a difference between those two words, and it is raw and emotional and fun, and that's the best part. I'm Darren Millard. Welcome to In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, sourced for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. I am on Prince Edward Island in a parking lot right now as I get ready to uh, catch my flight back home. And on the other side of the country is co-founder of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison on Vancouver Island. We have the country covered right now. From island to island, and I think... Uh, island to island. You uh, being in a parking lot is a nice theme for this episode because the feature interview uh, Kevin recorded from his car and uh, in his car sitting there with, with our guest. And, and I have to agree with you, Darren. Uh, my favorite interview of what is now our, and this is episode 26, our sixth month uh, history at the podcast. And what made Eric Comrie so appealing to you? He's just an incredibly engaging young man, and you can hear it in his voice. And I think he's sharing things that a lot of folks would probably be a little bit reluctant to share. I mean, being able to tell us that, yeah, he skated out on the ice in Montreal in the World Juniors, and he was nervous. And for him to say that getting these one-game call-ups to the NHL puts a whole lot of pressure on him, that's honest. Um, Love to hear those things. And he's, like I said, he's just so genuine and full of life. We've been really lucky uh, to meet him a few times. I mean, Kevin knows him quite well, but I've been lucky to meet him a few times uh, up in Kelowna when he's training there. And uh, I mean, just a small story. We we got to spend, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes after a practice one day, hanging out in the dressing room and chatting. And uh, I was there with with our son, Maddie. And, and then a year later, we walked into the dressing room again after a session uh, he didn't even know we were coming. And uh, and he walked right up to Maddie and said, hey, Maddie, how you doing? Good to see you again. Uh, he hadn't seen him in a year. He met him for 15 minutes. He's got to meet thousands of people. And there he remembers um, an 11-year-old kid in his name right away. Uh, for me, that sort of sold me as a parent, obviously. But but that's genuine, That's and that's who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think it and, really comes through in the interview. And he also comes from uh, a very... Uh, Famous background, yep. Both in Canadian business, uh, and and with his with his father and the the brick furniture company which he, which he founded, and the brick hockey tournament, which which Woody gets into a story that I didn't realize uh, how that tournament came about, but no, uh, but either. Eric kind of uh, spilled spilled the beans on on that. But uh, but his older brothers Paul, who are quite a bit older, Paul uh, and Mike, uh, both play in the National Hockey League, uh, so he. He he wasn't one of these uh, kids that that struggled for means and and uh, and putting uh, his his two cents together to to get equipment. He uh, he had a, a a more lavish uh, upbringing, and and he still uh, went through the ups and downs of uh, of, of trying to uh, to make it to an elite level. So uh, a different sort of uh, approach to uh, to growing up and and being in the minor hockey system. In two different countries, both uh, both in in Canada, Alberta, and, and Edmonton, and then in in Southern California. So uh, a, a really uh, interesting 
uh, conversation and how he went about it. Like this, this is a kid that uh, I don't want to uh, steal all of uh, Woody's thunder. Uh, who's uh, who's in Kelowna doing these interviews and attending these camps? But uh, but how how Eric had to really. Well, he didn't have to uh, scratch and claw to financially take part in the game. He had to get creative in how to find his ice time. Well, yeah, and 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 that the two things about that that stand out for me is, sure, he had access to 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 lots of opportunity um, growing up. But here's a kid who basically willed himself to becoming a great goaltender. Uh, you hear the stories about the time that he's put in, not because dad's pushing him to put it in, but but because he absolutely loves the game, he is a rink rat at heart. And, uh, and when you hear in the interview some of the things that he did growing up to become a, a goaltender, just really impressive. Uh, we, we would all be impressed by a kid who does this. And it's, like I said, it's not a parent uh, driving this to happen. It's his own passion for the game. And the, the other story I'll, I'll just share is, as you're talking about his upbringing is you would never know it to meet Eric. Um, Kevin was telling me a story uh, about Eddie Lack going down to California to, to train with Eric. Uh, Eric just invited him to come and spend a little time at his house and, and skate a bit together. And Eddie arrived at the airport and he, honest to God, was expecting uh, somebody to roll up in an old Toyota Camry to pick him up because he just figured Eric was another kid who played hockey. Uh, despite all <laughs> the time that they'd spent together in the summer's training already, he'd known him for, for a long time and he had no clue that... Uh, uh, what he was about to get into, and I won't, you know, I won't get into all the details, but he just had no idea, um, and and that tells you a lot about Eric as a person too. Uh, we could talk about this interview uh, forever, uh, but we want to make sure that you get a chance to listen to it. Uh, the listeners of Ingoal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, a source for sports story, thehockeyshop dot com. Uh, before we get into that, uh, the gear segment uh, it falls on your shoulders this week. Uh, uh, what are you going to be talking about uh, after the interview? And then I would just want to touch on uh, the hockey shop and their great service. Um, Kevin and Cam, as you know, have been doing all of our gear segments uh, more or less up until now. And we just decided to change it up a little bit this week because uh, over at ingoldmag.com, we released our review of the uh, new CCM JetSpeed FT2 Skate. Uh, do head over there. You'll get some different insights. You'll get some different views, both in terms of both video and uh, images. Uh, Kevin's Kevin's feedback, uh, and I say Kevin's feedback because it's a full custom skate that uh, we ordered, so he's the only one who's able to go out and take it for a spin, uh, although we have had the opportunity to talk to a number of guys uh, in the NHL who've used the custom CCM skates as well and added their opinions to the review. Uh, anyway, we having released that this week, we thought it'd be interesting to hear right from the source, and we uh, we spoke to uh, Frederick uh, Bonnoyer and uh, Kaylee Dankevi at uh, CCM. Frederick is the head of the skate department for, for CCM. And so he's the guy who is in charge of the innovation, in charge of the development of new product for skates. And, and this really was the biggest leap in skate technology for CCM. And we wanted to hear from them because really this is not, folks, just CCM's version of a cowlingless skate. There's a lot of new technology behind this that uh, is unique to CCM. And so we wanted to talk about not just what that technology is, but wanted to hear a bit about the process. Uh, how long does it take to develop a skate like this? How many people are behind that effort? What sort of people are behind that effort? What's going on? It's uh, pretty fascinating to hear when we learned a bit about it on our visits uh, to CCM and, and wanted to be able to bring that to our listeners. The gear segment uh, discusses uh, CCM and its wheels, so which is uh, a perfect uh, segue into our feature interview this week. 
listen for it and how Eric Comrie discusses the lengths that he would go to to get the training that he yearned for as he came up through the ranks as a minor hockey player. And I dare say it is one of the most unique approaches you will ever hear from a professional athlete. Eric Comrie, goaltender with the Winnipeg Jets and the Manitoba Moose, in conversation with Kevin Woodley on In Goal Radio, the podcast, presented by thehockeyshop.com. We've just finished a nice round of golf. Uh, thanks to Golf BC, the Quail Golf Course up here in the beautiful Okanagan, the Okanagan Golf Club. Eric just absolutely crushes the ball. So we're going to talk about hockey rather than how badly he crushed me at the game of golf. Um, how's it going? It's going really good. Just got done a good round of golf. Had a lot of fun. Cole Killer and yourself it was a lot of fun. Now, you're up here for a week getting a little skate. Is this the, Walk me through the off-season routine of a young professional goaltender. When you get back on the ice, what your schedule is in the gym, what does it look like? So it's... It's definitely changed a little bit since I became a pro. Uh, back when I was in junior, I would not take much time off the ice. I pretty much started skating right away. Since maybe last summer, I started working with Adam Francilia, my new trainer, and he's really dialed me back on the ice a lot, really making sure that I was really focusing on my off-ice stuff and just getting stronger in the gym so that when I went on the ice, I could achieve what I wanted to. So this summer has been more, a lot of off-ice stuff, a lot of getting stronger, a lot of building muscle, a lot of getting my core tight enough where I can get back on the ice and improve right away instead of kind of ease myself back onto the ice. So first time on the ice was just in uh, late June, early July, really for myself. And normally when would you be, when have you been back on in the past? Um, I've done as short as a week or two. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So definitely not what my trainer, Adam Francilita really wanted at all. Okay. So we're up in Kelowna. So you're up here seeing a friend. Um, who a lot of people might recognize. We've written articles about the work he does. Uh, the Net360 group and the Net360 camps uh, are kind of where a lot of people might recognize that name from. But this isn't home. So home's in California. Home's in Newport Beach, right? So how are you getting nice in Newport? Like how often are you able to skate down there when in the summers? Well, actually, we're very blessed now. We used to have to drive a long way for a rink. We just built a brand new, beautiful facility. The Ducks built a brand new facility. It's amazing. And it's 15 minutes from my house. It's got four sheets and it's absolutely stunning. All the guys in California are so happy right now. We have a great pro skate right now. I had rent ice also two days a week, just do an hour of just, just skating, not even seeing pucks. So just working on your movement patterns, working on your skating, working on your footwork. Just, ex ex just skating. I haven't touched a puck at all for my skating at all, like with my goalie coach in the summer. It's just been purely skating. Do you think that would have surprised a lot of kids? Would it have surprised you? If I told, say, 12 or 13-year-old Eric Comrie that, hey, guess what? The pros, they haven't seen a puck, and it's July 15th right now, and, the, and they're out there skating twice a week. Would you that have surprised a young you? You know what? Probably not, because I, when I grew up, like, the way I became a goalie, like, I was never very good in, in, for when I was younger until I got to 10 years old. And the way I got good is I worked with a goalie coach named James Jensen in California. And we wouldn't even go out for um, like a private lesson. We'd go out there during public skating. So there'd be figure skaters going out and all this stuff. And I would skate three days a week with him, just an hour of public skating. And just it was just skating. We, couldn't, we weren't allowed to bring pucks on the ice. And that's what we did three days a week. That's literally how I got better right there. Okay, Jenner. So for those that don't know, Jenner James Jensen is now the goalie coach of the Everett Silvertips. 
you'd probably recognize one of his other pupils, Dustin Wolf, who was drafted this year as well. Um, working in California, so you're out there. Like, are you in gear? Yeah. Are, are you? Have you got a, Are you making a crease? Are you doing crease movements in one end of the ice? Or are the figure skaters like yelling at you to get out of the way? What's that like? Well, Jenner was really good at spray painting lines too when he was younger and i would always we'd always work on the geometry i'd make sure it was exact because i was a bit of a stickler for making everything exact just kind of getting on his side a little bit but then we we would like some days we get the crease and we'd always take advantage of that and we would just skate for hour every single like every single chance we got just t pushes crease movement just different things and he had me just some days we do do edges and it was just all this different movement crazy stuff and i i loved it like i love being on the ice and it was just a lot of fun for me too though okay so walk me through like when did you start in the game now obviously what were your your influences like family influences that got you into hockey like what 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 made you love first hockey and then secondly was it goal right away or did you play out as well well hockey was a given for me had to be i mean my mike and paul my brothers both played in the nhl they both played a lot of hockey it's all i saw I, my dad probably wouldn't say, he would say he'd never want, like, force me to play hockey, but I could, you know, he wanted me to play hockey. That's just what he wanted to do. Um, and so, so older brother, obviously Mike Comrie. Yeah. And, and Paul. Yeah. Were you like, we so many, you know, you wouldn't believe how many NHL goalies yeah. started because they were the little brother that got put in that. So, Is that you? So I am about four years old. Mike and Paul are both in the National Hockey League, and they're shooting on me inside a little gymnasium, like a mini hockey thing, using a foam puck. And then whenever I'm not playing in net, I'm wearing a Scott Steven jersey, trying to block every single shot there is. So they're like, this guy's a goalie. He has to be a goalie. So I'm, they pretty much forced me into it. And every time I played out, I wanted to block every shot. So it was kind of a given that I was going to be a goalie. Might as well put you in the big pads if you're going to get in the way of yeah. the, the hard black rubber. And my brother Paul, my greatest save to this day is still stopping brother Paul. He told me in the gym, he was playing in the National Hockey League at the time. He had a concussion, so he wasn't in the lineup. And he goes, you will never, ever stop me with a, with a puck. And I was about five years old. And he just so happened to get a backdoor pass. Like, and I make an unbelievable glove save. And my brother Mike picked me up and carried me around the house and Paul was dejected went on the floor and I still think that might be the reason why I became a goalie right there that moment that save it's a, well, all it takes is one save one, it's one save it's all it need so other than the save what about like what other influences were like were you you know were you a gear we got a lot of people that are gear geeks they fall in love with you know you and I have had con- conversations yeah. about the equipment picked each other's brains on what works what doesn't were you were you a gear geek growing up or did I that was, come later I was never a gear geek growing up no I, I was when I turned 11 I became a gear guy that's when I became it when I was growing like young I love just so you know 11's pretty young pretty young but I was a goalie when I was like seven years old okay and I fell in love with Martin Roder like everything Mari Roder I would cut my hair just like Mario Bird. I would do everything to emulate him as much as I could. I've seen you with a mustache. And now that I've recently, we saw pictures of that, you know, that sort of bad stash that he had for the draft. I'm starting to see it here. I, I think I should go back to that bad stash. Maybe, maybe the good luck will come there right there. Okay. So you're Marty Bruder guy. Um, I'll kick you out of the car if the answer isn't yes. Have you listened to the podcast with him from a couple of weeks ago? Oh, <laughs> he's in trouble. I know, I know. It's, it's raining out there. I got, you need to listen, I need to, to, listen to it. I need to okay. listen to it. So what'd you love about Marty? Because, uh, you know, I got to admit, it's funny. 
Um, it really was an enlightening podcast. Uh, he talked to us. Uh, I think a lot of us thought he played so much on instinct, but just how much he studied uh, other goalies, certainly shooters, his own film. There was a lot of thought process into it. So as a young Eric Comrie, what were you emulating when when Marty Berdur was your guy? I, I don't know. I think it was just him. I just love... I love the New Jersey Devils first off. Like, I don't know why. I love Scott Stevens. I love Marty Bruder. And where did that come from? I don't know where it came from. And to be honest with you, every time Marty, be growing up in Edmonton, every time Marty Bruder came to Edmonton, he'd get lit up. My brother would score two goals in him. I think one score was like 8 1. And I was like, kind of felt, I was sad that, that my brother scored two goals and he scored on my hero. So it was like, it was kind of strange. And just, just, I don't know what it was about him. I just, he was the best back then. That's who I thought was the best when he played. I mean, he won Stanley Cups. He did everything he, he wanted a goalie to do. And that's played the puck extremely well. Won games. Doesn't matter if he had 20 shots or 30 shots. He's going to win the game. Doesn't matter how he's going to get it done. Now, see, so that's in Edmonton. Walk me through for those, so those who don't know the transition from Edmonton growing up as a young guy to California and how that move played a role. You mentioned Jenner. And, and I mean, it would have been just a completely different environment in terms of, in terms of access to hockey, the focus on hockey, going from, you know, quote unquote, Canada and, and a hockey mad city like Edmonton, you know, to California, to Newport Beach, where, where hockey's, you know, I mean, I've seen it, it's popular, but yeah. it, we're not talking about Edmonton. No, I mean, I remember, uh, well, growing up in Edmonton, I played a lot of hockey, but I was never that good, just young guy. And then I, Moving to California, I was always scared of, oh, maybe I won't be able to play hockey. Maybe I won't be able to play. Like, it's no one plays here. But making the move there, I think, well, making the move there, I went to, like, this house league there. Just a house league. And my dad thought, well, I, he's going to be pretty good. He played in Edmonton, so he's probably going to be, like, the best player. So he tried to move him up. I think I let in 15 goals my first game. <laughs> so it wasn't. California <laughs> kids can play. So I was, then he goes, oh, maybe hockey's pretty good down here. Like, it's pretty good. And then I remember trying to make the. I wanted to make the brick team really badly because that's a big turn. I mean, my dad started that tournament. It's your dad. My, your dad owned the by brick. By the way, he started that tournament for my brother, Mike, if anybody's wondering. Is that the true story? Yeah, this true story goes. He started that tournament because Mike was so much better than everyone else at his age group. Like, he was so much better than everybody else in Edmonton that he just, my dad really wanted to see. He goes, is he really that good? So he tried to get all the best kids his age in and. He turns out Mike was that good. So that's that's the that's how the brick that's tournament how the brick got started. started. It was wow. for Mike. That's why the brick tournament wasn't around from Brother Paul, who was a great player, but I guess Mike was just so dominant. Wow. So then story goes, I'm in California playing the house league, but I want to make the brick team. I think my dad wants me to make the brick team too, because it's his tournament. It's a big deal. Big deal for him. So he It's a big deal for everyone. Still yeah. the brick team's a big H deal. Huge deal. I think I think it's the best tournament you can play as a young kid by far. It's the most fun I've ever had maybe playing hockey this day still. And I, he wants me to make the brick team. So he gets me, I he meet his goalie coach, James Jensen, who's going to be the goalie coach of the brick team. He goes, okay, why don't we start working with him? So maybe he can have a chance. And it's not looking good. I'm not, I'm not a very good goalie. So we, then we start skating three days a week on just the, the straight movement. This stuff. is the public. Skating. This is the public skating. That's all we did was just the public skating, public skating, just to build a foundation. And I think in going in Edmonton, I don't know if I would have had that opportunity because there's not there's so many kids playing hockey that it's kind of like you got to run them through one after another. Everything's structured. You never yeah. would have had that opportunity to just go out and skate. No, an I would never have that chance to go out and skate with just a goalie coach, just me and him for an hour every single day. Like, and I, I skated a lot as a kid. I skated six to seven days a week. Wow. A lot. Like, and 
he, Jenner would just, we'd skated every single day. And then slowly I started getting technique. I started getting better and better and better. I made the brick team. I didn't play much. I maybe played one or two games of tournament. I wasn't a starter by any means. I was okay at the tournament. But I continued the process because I started getting better and better. Even the goalie in the team started noticing I get better. But I went to a different team because I wanted to be the starter. And he was, this other guy right. was going to be the starter. Right. So I went to the wave and kept going and going and just I developed slowly through James Jensen skating. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So when, at what point in all this, I mean, like you said, you've been around the NHL. Yeah. With your brothers. You know what it's like. At what point did your journey, like you said, back up on the brick team, at what point did it become something where you're like, hey, this is something, this is something I could do. I can be good enough to play this. Um, was it, was it going to junior? Like when did that become something that, that you thought about? Well, my dad always says this to me. He goes, people always ask him when he thought Mike was going to play in the NHL. And he said, I thought Mike was going to play in the NHL the first day he stepped in the NHL because you never know what's going to happen on the ride. And I kind of hold that true to myself. I didn't know if I was ever going to be good enough to play in the NHL until my first game. And you just, you just don't know. So many different things can happen. So many different things can go around. You can get an injury. Just, But it was a long road getting there. I mean, I remember from the time I was 11 years old to the time I was 16 years old, I skated seven days a week, two to three hours every single day. All skating. All no 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 no. So that's, now you're now you're pucks, progressing. You're adding like, pucks. Okay. Yeah, that's like, but that's also like just like practices, including practices or private sessions, and just all these different things. Because California, there's there's always just different camps going on. We would always just there because there's a bunch of retired hockey players love living in the sun in California. Right. Not a bad place to live. <laughs> no. So we, they would always run these private lessons, and it was Rick Kelly, and it was it wasn't goalies lessons it was just shooters going around the net shooting pucks and then i'd face i don't know a thousand pucks an hour just because it was so many shots and i'd do it three days a week then i had two days with jenner and just tons and tons of skating i remember it was i was at the rink well i became friends with everyone at the rink because i was there every day <laughs> wow so so this is just you're not it's not goalie specific all the time sometimes it is this is just you take you basically becoming a rink rat and taking an opportunity to get as many shots as many pucks as much many touches and, and times on the 100%. ice as possible. And it was never my dad ever forced me to go to the rink. I loved going. I still, to this day, I love going to the rink. If I ever got in trouble, I didn't know I was in really big trouble for my dad until he threatened to take away hockey. And then right away, I would be like the most perfect human being because I did not want hockey taken away from me. It's the thing I love the most. And to this day, I still love it the most. People ask me like, why do I go on the ice early? It's not because I'm trying to, like I'm like, trying to show off or anything. It's just because I love being on there. I love skating. I, I can skate around the MTS center and just like imagine playing there all the time. It's just because I love being out there. Wow. Okay. So we'll take the next step. So you go from, from California back up at the brick, you progress your way up. When, like, how do you end up in the WHL? Ooh, WHL. That was still to this day, the hardest decision of my life I had to make, I think. Okay. And what was the, what were the options? I was either going to probably go to Denver university. Okay. I got, I was, my brother went there. Both my older brothers went to college. Mike and Paul were both NCAA players. Mike left NCAA to go to Kootenai at the end. That's right. He but was the first one to sort of open that loophole. If I remember that correctly. was a loophole. That's that was right. that he would have stayed. He loved Michigan. He would have stayed there forever, but there was a contract loophole that he could take advantage of in, 
he put up 83 points in 30 games in the West Rocky League. <laughs> and he took advantage Not of it. Not a big deal. Yeah. And then, uh, so for myself, it was between Denver or Tri-City. And I was... I was pretty good at that point. I was a good goalie. I was drafted the first round in the Western Hockey League, and I had a really good fifteen-year-old uh, year of hockey. And I was, and my dad says, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, my idol now switched to Carey Price, and he was he was drafted by Tri City. He played in Tri City, and that was going to be a hard one for me to say no to." And just talking to my goalie coaches and my dad, it was just the amount of games I was going to see in college. Versus the amount of games I was going to see in the Western League, it was just not the same. Like the college, I would have seen, if you're lucky, you maybe see seven games as a freshman. And if you're unbelievably good, you play 20. Right. And I just, I was going to get that in the first two months of the Western Hockey League. So it was just about ice. It was just about ice. Wanting to be out there. It just wanted to be out there, wanting to play games. I just, Tri City seemed like the right fit for me. I I love this being there. I, I still love it to this day. That, organization was amazing and i think i made the right decision in my mind to where i went okay so he had some good years there now your draft year you decide this is about roughly when i met you too actually um i think it was probably a western hockey league one of those uh summit series games where the russians came through town would have been unlb even well it was myself and lb that's right loren brassois Actually, yeah, have, I remember we have have a good story actually there Uh, let's uh, tell it let's hear it um so I've never met LB before. And LB is notoriously a little bit running late always. I, I hear now. I didn't know back then. So uh-huh. before the first, second Subway Series game, we f- forget to set an alarm. And we, both of you, both of us forget to set an alarm. So it's my fault too. We forget to set an alarm. We sleep, we nap right past the bus time. We show up to the game about. An hour before the game, Ooh. sweating before the, we play the Russians on live TV sports. And we never play on live TV in the Western League, really. This is like my first time ever, ever playing on live TV. Was that the one at the Coliseum? This is no, not the one at the Coliseum. Okay, that was later. LB played amazing that game in the Coliseum. This is the one in Kelowna. No, no, sorry, sorry, in Victoria. That makes sense. In yep. Victoria. Okay. And I actually end up going in that game. Halfway through the game. I did not the plan I did not think I was going in. The coach said he'll try to get me in, maybe. I was 17 years old. And I ended up playing pretty well that game, actually. Just off strictly adrenaline. That wow. was strictly adrenaline. Because you guys barely made it to the ring. It's funny, like, you just you get that emotional high after kind of being a little bit late and you're like, oh man, I better do something to fix that now. Yeah, it's like getting pulled over. You get that, you know, like when you're yeah. speeding, you get that little rush. And you you, get it's that not rush. a good thing. You know, you did bad, but it's sort of that the, yeah. the adrenaline spikes. Yeah. Okay, so draft year, the year before your draft year, you decide probably could have played through the hips, decided, or I mean, obviously ends up being the right decision, but how tough was that? Like, was there any inclination? You decided to have surgery on both hips. Yeah, We know now that this is, I mean, it's almost a boutique surgery. And I mean, not that it's a minor surgery. It's still a major procedure. But um, was there any thought to let's just play through this, get drafted, and then get it taken care of? Or was it just, doesn't matter, I'm going to come out on the other side of this and teams should know that? Yeah, it was, it was a tough one for me. I mean, I remember I actually played really well right after the subway series i played two games against Kelowna rockets at home and i played really well but i i wasn't my hips were not feeling good at the time and i was really in a lot of pain 
And I remember going out to practices and like after, like before practices, I'd have to go on the ice and like pop my hips just to be able to go drown the ice. Like I could not go drop in my butterfly if my hip did not pop in the right way that day. Ugh. So that, like, doesn't, that doesn't sound like much fun, especially no. for a guy who's on the ice as much as you. So it was kind of like, I was like, hmm, this is not exactly what I want to go through every single day to play hockey. This isn't fun. Like it's not fun when you have to go on the ice and if your hip doesn't pop correctly, you're in a lot of pain with everything you're doing. So you get them cleaned up. Did you have it? Was it Philippon and Mark Philippon? Yeah, you went to Philippon and Vale, and he did an amazing job. And I had a really, I went through, I was rehabbing, I think, four to six hours every single day just to get over this, this, uh, what I had done. And I mean, not many people went through the surgery I've gone through. I had one hip done, and then a week later, had another one done. And it was the first time they've ever seen it. I walked. I went from my hip surgery and I walked in to get my second surgery. And they said they've never, ever seen anyone walking five days after their surgery. So obviously it went really well. It went really, pretty, I, I pretty good an, decision long-term. I had an amazing rehab thing set up where I was, I was in the pool the next day after my hip surgery, like doing stuff the very next day. And I was, I was doing a quarter squat four days after I had my hip surgery. Wow. So obviously no regrets, but was it tough to make that? Especially just, I, you know I mean? Ultimately, you want to get fixed, yeah. but were you? Did you worry at all about draft or how that might affect your draft position? You end up yeah. going to the Winnipeg Jets, but you're worried. But I had a good year that year. I, I I posted a pretty good year. I was I was treading in the right direction. I had a good Subway Series game. Missing the prospect game sucks because I was really I was really looking forward to that because I mean, Don, just the experience, don't you? Yeah, don't Cherry. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's still to this day. I mean, probably one of the biggest things I miss is that prospect game. Would have been a lot of fun. I did meet Don Cherry later in life, so I'm happy about that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, check that box. Check that box. Was, was, I was really happy about that. Really thrilled about meeting him. And then I remember I went to hockey camp. I came back in time for hockey Canada goalie camp. And it was my second week skating. And I remember I had a really, really good camp. Like, and I was out, kind of out of the blue. Like, I was, wasn't sure I was going to do. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it. But I had a really good camp. And it just so happened that Flats... Wade Flaherty, the Jets guy, was scouting that camp. Right. Wade Flaherty, the goalie coach of the Winnipeg and Jets. He was, he, to this day, he says that's, that's why, you, why right. I was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets was that camp, pretty much. And then and you're, two, you're, two, you're first basically just getting back on the ice and right into that yeah, camp. Yeah. And I was, and I'm still, I mean, I'm the happiest man in the world that Jets chose me. I couldn't have gone to a better organization and better people. Like, I, I've loved every single minute of that organization, too. Okay, so what's the jump? Now you move from... from now, well, actually, I, we probably shouldn't just gloss over the World Juniors. Had a chance to represent a little uh, under the, the pressure and spotlight of Canada in Canada, wearing the Maple Leaf. Yeah. Uh, end up winning a gold medal with Zach Fukali, yeah. I believe. You guys were partners. Yeah, I was actually... Zach and I have a very good... We are very good with Hockey Canada. We have a gold medal at the Ivanilinka. Right. U18. Right. My apologies for not having yeah. that in And early. we have a gold medal at World Junior. So we're two for two for gold medals with Hockey Canada, him and I. And we had, and we have a friendship that still to this day is really close. We, we're really good friends. We talk a lot. I mean, representing Canada World Juniors. I said that my favorite hockey memory might be soft from Brother Paul in the gym. I think World Juniors might top that. That was. Especially at home. At home. I played against Germany. Shutting out Germany was awesome. And then playing against the USA on New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve or New Year's, yeah, New Year's Eve was still, that's, you can't ask for more than that. Like playing in Montreal, New Year's Eve, you don't, you think you're nervous for a game. That, that's, that's a whole different thing right there. That's just, and I remember Freddie telling me one thing that 
I kind of played with, and I, I played pretty well, was go out there and pretend you're playing like pond hockey or just backdoor hockey. Don't even worry about the pressure. Just go out there like to play the game you love and play it like you're playing with your friends backdoor. And I think I took that to heart and I, I used that a lot. And I just tried to, I honestly just tried to go out there and play like I was playing with my friends. And that Freddie being Freddie Brathwaite, who was the goaltending Brathwaite, coach, yeah. the goaltending consultant with Hockey Canada back then, uh, still does some work with them. Okay, so from there, pro. American Hockey League start. Um, pro, American that, Hockey League. Is that, is, that, what, is that the biggest jump? Like, like I've had guys no. say, I've had some guys say WHL to AHL is a bigger jump than AHL to NHL. I agree with that. The biggest jump I've made in hockey career is definitely still midget to Western League. Okay, yeah. It doesn't matter what anyone says to me. When you go from living at home to living on your own, that's the biggest jump you'll make in your career. My 16-year-old year is a year that I struggled the most out of any year in my career. And that was mostly off ice? Just off ice. I mean, you just... This is the first time you feel that you're part of a business and not just playing for fun. Western League, I know you're, you're still... It's not getting paid, but you have coaches that are trying not to get fired. You have GMs that are trying not to get fired. It's a different layer it's of pressure. It's a different layer of pressure. You have people paying for your tickets. When you're playing at midget hockey, you have nothing. It's, you're just playing in front of your parents. There might be a scout in the building. There might not be. You don't know. And it's, no one's paying for it. No one's paying. That's just all for, it's all for fun. The coach is not going to get fired. He's going to come back the next year. Okay, so how did you... Clearly, you, you I don't want to say felt, but you were aware that everything changed. Did you feel that as pressure? How did you manage to I felt, deal with it? I felt for sure the pressure. And I was a first-round draft pick. I was supposed to be really, I was supposed to come in there and play right away and be unbelievable right away. And I wasn't. I was not, I wasn't ready for that jump right away. It was definitely a slower. Well, not a lot of guys make it at that age, not a, lot of, not a lot of people make it at 16. I was definitely, I needed a year to get ready. I was a young 16-year-old. I had never been away from home for a long time. I just wasn't ready for that. And then moving away from home, I had a great bill at family and they treated me great. I had a great roommate, Adam Hughesman, still really good friends with him. Just, it wasn't, it was a big jump and it's hard to explain what it's like to move away at 16. A lot of people have done it, but it's still, it's a big thing. And like, it's not as easy as people think. I was homesick. I was wanting to be home at a lot of time. And I just, even the game, like I was like, I was frustrated with how I was playing. I wanted to do better. And I just, I never cleared my mind and just said, go out there and have fun and play hockey. How'd you get back to that? I think the next year, I just came in more confidently. I came in and I just said, okay, just go back to playing, playing my game and going out and just doing what you know how to do. You managed to clear mentally the, clear, all that other stuff? Clear mentally the other stuff and the, the pressure and all that stuff just kind of went away after. I just, I had to get used to it. I had to get used to being, living away from home. It takes a year to get used to that stuff. And I think just being a year older, being used to, where I was going to go and just knowing what was I was going to face was a big advantage for me. Okay. So from there to pro you've lived on your own. So the lifestyle is it, I mean, you've still got a billet family in the WHL is moving into pro. Is that another step in terms of living on your own, a, a bigger step? What's the biggest difference there? Is it, is it the shooters? Is it the off ice? What's the biggest jump into pro? My first game in the American hockey league, I was 18 years old. Not a lot of people like, not a lot of goalies played 18. I was not. So this was the end of a WHL End of the season? Western Hockey League season. So you went up for a little bit. I went you. up and I had a really, really good 18-year-old year in the Western Hockey League. A really solid year. Like I posted, still to, this, still to this day, I still call it the best year I've ever had. And it was the year after my hip surgery. I had a great year. I was really happy with how everything went that year. 
I go to the American Hockey League coming off a great year. I am as confident as I could ever be. I just got done. I lost to Kelowna Rockets in a series, but I was lights out all series long. I played amazingly well. Still, feeling good. Feeling really good. And I went up there and played a game and I was blown away. I was blown out of the water. I couldn't make a save. It, to the point where I was like, oh my goodness. I, I told my goalie coach at the time, Lyle Mast, I was like, Lyle, I don't know if I can play in the American Hockey League. Like, I don't know if I will ever be able to play in this league. And he, he was like, no, I, I, you're just 18 years old. You have to get used to the speed. Like, don't worry. You're going to be fine. I was, like, I was like, I don't know, Lyle. I don't know if I can do it. This is an exact conversation we had. And we eventually, I got over it. <laughs> I was going to say, you've been in American yeah. Hockey League All-Star now. So, yeah. So, then the next, next year, I... Actually, I went up again at the end of my season. But it was kind of like my 16-year-old year. Like, it was like my 18-year-old. When I played as an 18-year-old, it was kind of like my 16-year-old year in the Western League. I wasn't, I was just moving away ready. from home, but yeah. wasn't ready. Then when I was 19, I go up there and I play, the, my, I play again. I play one game. And you know what? Two pucks hit the crossbar that probably should have went in. But they went, they didn't go in. And that right there changed everything for me because I got my confidence. The next game. I'm first star. The next sec, next game, sorry, I'm second star. The next game, I'm first star. So I played three games. I'm two and one. And that right there made a huge difference for me because I go from 19-year-old. They didn't make the playoffs that year. So I actually should go back. 18-year-old year, I'm up in the American League all year because they go all the way to the finals. Oh, so you stayed up through the playoffs. Stayed up through the playoffs. So I see practice after practice of practice of American League shooters, which made a big difference for me going there the next year as a 19-year-old. And then I got those three games in, two wins, one loss. Their season's over. They miss playoffs. I go back. Then the next year, I know I'm going to make the, they, they told me, like, you're going to make the American League team. Like, you're going to make, don't worry about where you go. You're going to be on the team. I come back the next year just confident because I went two and one. And I start off amazingly my American League year as a 20-year-old. I start off as well as I could have started off. Also, at that year, 20-year-old, I got really lucky. Not lucky, but like maybe a fortunate bounce. Like I was slated to play behind Connor Hellebuck all year. But he's the goalie. Pavlik actually sustains an MCL strain. So Helly ends up up in Helly Winnipeg. ends up in Winnipeg. And you get a chance to play. And as a 20-year-old in the American Hockey League, I ended up playing at 1.20 straight games, which is crazy. Doesn't, for yeah, any, doesn't happen does, a lot. Never happens. That never, as a 20-year-old, I was, there was, Still to this day, one of the biggest experiences I could have had is going up there and playing that many games. It was amazing for my development. Now, what uh, you also, you also had a stint to the World Championships, the Hockey Canada. I you did. You got a chance to do that. Now, so what you did, again didn't play. You were there because you were young at the time. Yeah. There is the third goalie, but again on the ice with some of the best in practice. Facing guys like Stan, now Stanley Cup champion. I remember we had this conversation, Ryan O'Reilly with that little crazy toe hook yep. and that crazy release. You're not the first guy that's been eaten up by that thing. Oh, no, yeah. What, what, like, where did that experience fit in terms of, again, getting comfortable with the next step and what the next step looks like? Well, I remember going there. I was just so thrilled to be part of that team. They just, there weren't a lot of guys' options that year. A lot of guys didn't want to go. And I was just lucky enough where I got the call. I was like, okay. And I remember it being the Olympic year. So they didn't know who they could bring to the Olympics because of the whole thing. So they thought maybe they could bring American League goalies. And I had a pretty good back-to-back American League years. So they were like, okay, maybe we could, we could bring him in. 
So I went there kind of as a third guy just to learn and watch and just kind of see. And I had so much fun. I remember going there and I still am friends with a lot of guys on that team. I had so much fun there. I practices. I was out there early with the guys taking Pickard, obviously Pickard and uh, Johnson were definitely trying to, the Chad Johnson, Chad Johnson the, yeah. uh, guys trying to get ready for the game. So I was just out there waiting. He'll start a practice. I go out there and face breakaways. And the end of practice, I go out there and just face, breakaway. face breakaways. And I, I loved it. I just love being out there. All the guys are unbelievable players. The team was fantastic. And we had a good team. And unfortunately, I came super close to winning a world championship gold medal. And it would have been one of the coolest things to have is a gold medal world championship because I would be part of a kind of a cool club of a Ivan Olinka world junior and world championship gold medal, which would have been really, really cool. Um, it's it's still a dream of mine to be able to do that. I don't know that you never know if it's going to happen again. And we lost in a shootout, unfortunately, in the last game to Henrik Lundqvist. Yep. And I remember that pick went toe to toe with him pick, in that game. He was oh, unbelievable. He was incredible. Like I still to this day, he's he is such a gamer. It is unbelievable. When the game gets on the line, you want to go to win a game. It's hard to choose another guy. Calvin Picker, when he, when he needs to play well, he always plays well. Okay, so where's the where's the mindset now? You've been in the A for four years. Like I said, you've been an all-star. You've had good seasons. you played behind different level of teams and, and quality of teams there um, with different expectations. That's the nature of being in the A. Like, where's... Where's the next step? You've got a couple tastes of the NHL. Like, where do you feel you're at? And how do you, like, what's the mental approach right now? Well, for me, it's the same thing. I, I want to play in the National Hockey League. I, I, right, I played there before. It's my goal. It's 100% where I want to be. So when you get up there, it always feels like every time you get up, it's like just one quick game. Yes, it's one quick game. Is it hard to handle the pressure of that when it's, when you know that's what it is? Like, do you, is, do you find yourself putting too much on it's it? 100%, 100%. It's the same thing. And I'm trying to revert back to it. The same thing that Freddie Brath, I think. So last year I go up and I play against Minnesota. I don't play very well. I remember I just put a lot of pressure on myself. I put a ton, a ton, a ton of pressure on myself. And Flats always tells me like, he goes, Eric, you're, you can play. Like I've seen you, you, you've done in America. Like I see you in practice every day. You're just, you're fine. You can do this. And I just go out there and I put a ton of pressure on myself, but I think that's the way I am. And I think, Going back to Manitoba after that game, I kind of said, hey, I fought back to this funny, fought back to the thing that Freddie Brathway told me at the World Juniors. Just play like you're playing with your buddies in a backyard rink. And I haven't done it for a long time. And I went out and played an amazing game against Grand Rapids. And I played a great game against Chicago the next night. And I'm like, maybe you just got to take a little bit of a step back, take a little pressure off you. And just go out there and play it and just let the results take care of themselves and just go out there and enjoy what you're doing instead of going out there and trying to be perfect all the time. Like that's, I have a tendency. I'm a bit of a perfectionist with my game. I've seen this in, I've seen this on the ice and drills. When bucks go in, you don't get too happy. No, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Like I want, even if, even if I get scored on, if, even if I don't, sorry, even if I don't get scored on and I didn't like the way I stopped, I didn't like the way my, I, track the puck into my body. I didn't like the way I was set up. I still will not like it. Like even in practice, if I give up, just say I'm in position, I make a save and it hits me, but I didn't like the way I track it. I'm still you critiquing know. myself. I'm you, critiquing you myself. Know. Yeah. You know that it wasn't. So I'm always hard on myself. I'm trying to get rid of that and just try to enjoy more. Still, still be hard on myself because that's what makes me who I am. That's what makes me practice. That's what makes me go hard in the drills. But I'm trying to get to the point where I'm, I'm just, Letting go and letting it happen on the ice instead of making it happen. 
That sounds like pretty good advice. Now, do you work with anyone to try and get there? Is this just all yourself? Um, hmm. I've more, I've read a lot of books about it. Like just trying to, trying to do it. I, honestly, it's, it's funny to say, but it's about trying to find some alone time every single day and just trying to reflect on yourself and trying to like get almost into the zone where you're trying to play a hockey game in like every day and just trying to almost in the zone where you're just letting things happen and not trying to control things. I have a very controlled of personality. That's the way I am. So it's hard for me to try to find time and just go, okay, completely relax and just be in the moment completely. And it's, I try and find time to do that every single day. Cause you want to be in the moment when you're on the ice. I, well, you have to be, if you're not, you're, I'm, you're constantly thinking about like, I'll, I'll find myself if I'm not playing well, if, if the guy comes down and shoots a high blocker, but he misses the net, but I didn't like the way I tracked it. That'll be in my mind a little bit running through the game. And it shouldn't be, but like it, it, then I'm like, I kind of thinking about that. Like I want to, okay, I got to fix that. I got to fix that. And I'm trying to fix things mid game instead of just going out there and playing and playing the game. And I've, I've done it junior. I was really bad at it. I would, I would do it. Like I would watch Henrik, just say I watched Henrik Lundqvist in a game. And I saw his glove positioning. I'd go out there and try and emulate in a game instead of doing it in practice. I'd go right into a game and do it, which is asking for disaster. Yeah. But you could get away with it in junior. But now you go into pro, it's kind of like, you got to just kind of let everything you've learned in practice take over and go out there and play. I did a better job of that this year in the American League for sure. I have to get to the point where I just completely let it go and just play and let it happen on the ice. When you get up. Too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and easy to say. I mean, that's it's it, staying in the moment. One puck, one shot, one thing. It's the everyone says it. Yeah, the easiest thing to say. Sometimes it's the hardest thing. To it's do. the easiest thing to say for sure. It's hard to do that, and it's harder for people with a person I like to. I like to control things. That's the way I'm a kind of control freak. Everything I like to, everything set up the way I like it to. And then when you try and let go of that control, because you have to as a goal. Well, you have you're not in control of most things. You're mostly reacting to what's going on in front we of you. Don't, we don't get to dictate no, much of the game. No, we're not dictating anything. We're reacting to what's in front of us. So when you try and control what's happening in front of you, it's not asking for a lot of success. It sounds like pretty good advice, <laughs> but again, easy to say. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a little experience to get there. And it's, I, I've talked to like a sports psychologist guy who said this. He goes, you will never, so the only way to get over that is to just go out there and experience it. You have to go get the experience. And it's hard to get that experience, but you have to go out there and just battle through the first steps and just get the experience and go say, okay, I've been there. I've done that. I can do that now. And you have to get to that point where you just say, okay, I've trusted the work I've put in. I've been there. I've been through it. I can do it now. Do you feel like... like it's sometimes it's a matter of opportunity, right? Like 100%. Kind of like you said, you got those 20 games while Heli was up. And there was no, geez, I, I got one game here this week. I better make the most of it or I won't get another one. You just got to go out and play. Yeah. And those opportunities are a little tougher sometimes to come by in the NHL. But you feel like if you got one of those, there you go. I mean, that's the goal. That's what I, that's what I want. That's what I feel like. I, I feel like if I, I, I mean, I hate being like, I feel like it's cocky to talk about that, but I, I, I would love that. Well, I'm asking, it's funny. Yeah. We talk about staying in the moment. I'm asking you to look at the future. So yeah, yeah. right there, you're supposed to tell me, no, I'm just, I'm worried about one <laughs> I know. puck, that's one exactly, puck, one save, one stop. And that's what you want to say hundred percent. You, you do just want to stay in the moment. You want to stay in the moment and just let, let the things take care of themselves to get you along that path. It's so true. Okay. It's so true. Best shooter you've faced so far. 
best shooter I've faced so far. Practice or games can be a can be a teammate in a practice situation or in a game. Like you get, you're up at camp. Ooh, there's got, a lot of good shooters in the Jets. Wow. I was gonna say, I was just that's kind of uh, where I was man, going. What's, one, what's that one, like in training camp? Pretty good. He's got a pretty good shot. He scored a little goals to the NHL. He's, He's an RFA right now, Patrick Lina. He's a he's a he's a pretty good shooter. What's, what's that shot like? It's it's unbelievable. I mean, it's something special. It's he comes across, and it, it comes off his stick, and and it's there's different type of shots. There's heavy shots and there's quick shots. His shot, I see it, and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I can stop that, and then it just gets on you really fast. And you're like, whoa, that got on me a lot quicker than I thought it was gonna get on me. Is that just velocity? I, I I don't know. It's just the way he releases the puck. I mean, there are certain guys who have really hard, like 105 mile power slap shots that you can face. Where's, where's Buff on that scale? Buff's got a hard, heavy shot, like a hard shot. But I've seen guys like, his is also quick, but I've had guys who shoot heavy, like in the American League, stuff like that. But it's funny because you you see it for a long way and it comes and hits you, but it like it kind of like, like, oh, it hurt me. It was hard, but I saw it the whole way. Right. And then there's shots where it's like, that that sh- I never saw it. That got on me really quickly, but it didn't feel like anything. It just came quick, but it must have been hard. So there's, there's two different releases. I don't. It's just got to be the way the guys release it. I'm not sure why that is, but I've, I've come to realize that's one of the biggest things. And his just it gets on it gets on you so quick, and you don't have time to move. As you, just it's a weird different release. Nice. So, but it, it benefit to facing those guys, whether it's when you're up in practice or training camp. Like, is that what you're? Hundred percent. That's the ultimate goal, right? Hundred percent. I look, I try and face every single time Patrick Line is shooting a puck. I try and be in the net in practice. doesn't matter if he's taking one timers or what he's doing. I try and be in the net. I've taken one tease from the slot where Flats told me you're insane for taking those shots. And I'm like, I just, I think that him taking those shots for him is just going to make me so much better. He's one of the best shooters in the NHL. If I can face that shot and be able to see it, react to it and stop it. I, you can do that with anyone in the NHL. And so I try and face it as much as I can. All right, Eric, man, I t- kept you way too long. We could probably keep going. We'll just save you for another day. Um, let you get back to California. A couple more days up here in Kelowna. Maybe another chance to kick my ass on the golf course before we're done. Um, then back to California, and then you're back here in Kelowna for the summer. You're part of, you've switched agents. You're working with Ray Petcow now, so you're part of the Net360 camp with, as you mentioned, working with Adam Francilia, working with Dan Boss, um, working with Ray. So we'll get to see you again. I'm really looking forward to it. We'll I love a, my time in Kelowna. It's not a bad place to be, is it? I, I think I'm in the best places of California, Kelowna, Edmonton. It's all great. Winnipeg is fantastic, too. I love all those cities. I was going to say, like, the thing about Kelowna is the only time I've actually been up here and raining is when we're in the car doing this interview. So that's not a bad thing. It's the only time it's ever rained is today. There we go. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Eric. I know we built that interview up, but tell me. You're listening to it, and was that not fascinating, cool, and engaging, and one of those ones where even though it's a podcast and you can pause it, you still sit in your car or, or you go around the block another time uh, walking the dog to, to listen to the, to the rest of the interview uh, if, if you weren't uh, finished it already. It just, just a fun, cool uh, discussion with, with Eric Comrie and Kevin Woodley. Uh, just your, uh, your post thoughts, uh, David fascinating that uh we had not discussed this you and i together um ahead of time and yet we both as we got on the line today said that that was the favorite interview we've had in in the six months of ingle radio uh so that tells you a whole lot and think about it we've had carrie price we've had martin brodeur arguably the best today and the best of all time in many minds 
Uh, we've had Roberto Luongo driving the streets of Vancouver in Kevin's car. Clint Malarchuk and his unbelievable story. Stefan Waite showing us around the Canadians facility. I mean, we've had a lot of great guests on here in six months. And both of us thought that Eric Comrie was the most interesting interview. And it, for me, it really was. And I'm going to be listening to it again. So is there anything that you uh, grasp onto? Because part of what, what draws me and makes me uh, speak so highly of Eric is that he's relatable. And that's not taking away from, from the other star guests, but um, I can't, I mean, Martin talked about taking things from uh, Belfour's game or Hasek's game, and, and we all think that that, 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 that we would do that. But, but when Eric talked about uh, playing in a game and being nervous and two pucks go off the crossbar, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting some breaks. Like, that's, that's me in, in, in a regular <laughs> men's league game or, or when I was playing midget hockey or whatever. Those, those little ones where you go, that could have easily gone in, didn't, and I turned this into, into a great... That, that, that's where a connection really occurred to me at that part of the interview. Yeah, absolutely. And in many ways, he just sounds like another goaltender. He just happens to be playing at a, at a different level. But, you know, underline that with an unbelievable drive and passion for the game. Uh, to hear him say that he spent, was it two hours a day for seven days a week for five straight years as a kid on the ice, not because dad pushed him there, but because he wanted mm-hmm. to be there. In fact, they might take it away from him as a consequence. Um, wow. Y- you can't teach that passion. You can teach a lot in goaltending, but you can't teach that drive and passion. And, and I loved hearing that. What about the public skating story? Well, exactly. Going out there in his gear, not facing pucks, but but sharing the ice with people uh, twirling around uh, as families or figure skaters or whoever, but just finding your little uh, 12 feet of ice and, and doing the movements during a public skating session. Yeah, I've and not just once. in my life heard that. Yeah, not just once, but over and over and over yeah. and drawing a crease on the ice so you could find just a, a little slice to, to do your work. And that belief that skating drives everything. And he's even now, I mean, didn't he say they were just getting into working with pucks now and he's been, been on the yeah. ice skating for a long time? Uh, yeah, incredible. I once walked into a rink in Edmonton and it was one of these rinks that has one of those small little ponds for teaching kids how to skate. Um, in between the two main sheets and I saw a midget age goaltender in there doing crease movement drills and uh, had to stop and have a chat with him. I don't know if he did it nearly as much as Comrie, but uh, yeah, it's incredible when you see things like that or that little internet clip we saw a few years ago about a kid in the in the parking lot where there happened to be about six square feet of ice and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> sliding around on it. Like, it just love stories like that. That's That's the heart of the game. I'll be honest, if I showed up with uh with my gear and went out and did crease movements at the public skate in where where i live in in markham i don't know whether they'd let me on the ice like i, yeah, I, I really I don't I, and i ser- say that totally in in all honesty i don't know whether that would be allowed well and how many people would even have the courage to go and do it i mean it would be embarrassing to stand out like that for most people but uh but, what, what, but and i was thinking that too why why would that be embarrassing i would be i would be very self-conscious but then yeah. i'm also in the back of my mind going why would I be self-conscious? Uh, the guy doing crossovers and, and listening to his iPod and, and doing uh, skating around like in a different sort of casual skate uh, uh, and doing back twirls and all this kind of stuff, it, like he should be self-conscious, why, but he's not. So why can't I go out in gear and do my movements? I don't know. We're not as strong as him. No, you're be right. Fu- it would be fun if, and uh, let's just get it in right now, 
at podcast at ingoalmag.com. If we got a few emails at our uh, address for sending in questions and stuff, it would be fun to hear a few stories from people who have had the courage to step up at a public skate and do a little bit of crease movement. Well, one final note. Uh, the the one thing that uh, that I will carry around with me from the interview was was Eric going on the ice early all the time at, uh, at uh, Bell MTS Place and skating around by himself and just thinking about playing a game. And he plays all the time there uh, with the Manitoba Moose. His home games are at that, that arena that they share with the, with the Winnipeg Jets. But going around there and just being in that, that moment of an empty rink, and, and that's one of my fascinations, uh, my little idiosyncrasy, uh, that, uh, that I love an empty rink, and I love the sound of, of my blades on the ice all alone in a rink, and that was, that was cool that he, that he thinks that way. And he does that uh, in CCM gear, which is uh, part of... Uh, <laughs> The, the gear segment uh, this week that, uh, well that you are taking over uh, for, uh, for Woody. Uh, so I turn uh, the, uh, the gear segment over to Hutch. Uh, to you with failing hands, we pass the torch. And uh, before we do that, let's just remind everybody that this episode, as always, is sponsored by our friends at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, British Columbia. Uh, you've gotten to know Cam over the last few months in our weekly gear segments with Kevin. And uh, like Cam, all the staff in their goal department are goaltenders. They play the position. They know and understand the position. Uh, they, they wear the gear that we wear. And they'll treat you like kings when you visit them in that place that Kevin calls a little slice of goalie heaven. And I have to agree. Um, we've been down there. We've had the, they've had the patience to work through set after set of gear with us to be sure that we get it right. Why don't you just try this? Why don't you just try that? They're not pushing anything on us. They're making sure that, that we've got the gear that's the right, right for our game, right for our needs. And, uh, and you don't need to be in British Columbia to take advantage of that expertise. Their website is the place to go for all your gear needs, from the expert on ice reviews of the latest equipment to an unbelievable selection uh, and prices. Especially, I should say, for both our Canadian and U.S. listeners. Uh, those American dollars are going to go a long way in Canada these days. So check out the Hockey Shop Source for Sports at thehockeyshop.com today. And uh, having shared that, let's uh, just get into that gear segment where I sat down with... Uh, two of the minds behind the goal department and the skate department at CCM to learn a lot more about what's behind the development of the new CCM JetSpeed FT2 skate. Here we are. One of the biggest goals of the In Goal podcast is to bring you inside the room, so to speak. Uh, we bring our listeners to some of the people that wouldn't normally connect with, like NHL goalies, NHL coaches, or in the case of today, the people behind the gear uh, both NHL and amateurs love to wear. We're uh, in so many ways in a, a gear-driven position, and many, that's what brought so many of us uh, to playing goal. So today we're here with uh, Frederick Bonnoyer and Kaylee Denkevi from CCM. Uh, Fred is the product manager uh, for skates. Kaylee is the assistant product manager for goalie. And uh, we've invited them to talk about the new JetSpeed FT2 skates, because last week uh, we released our review at ingoalmag.com. Uh, of the full custom version of the skate, and we thought it would be a good idea to bring the people behind the gear to our listeners. We've given our view, and now we want to hear from the people behind them. So this is really a huge step forward in skates for CCM, and what I think uh, most listeners don't realize, it isn't just your version of a cowlingless skate. You've made some big innovations here uh, ahead of some of the other companies. And, but first, Fred, I'm a guy who many years ago was sketching goalies in his notebook at school, masks, and all sorts of things like that. I'm interested to know uh, what brought you to your role at CCM. Were you like uh, a whole bunch of other young Canadian and young Quebecers who were hockey obsessed? Were you dreaming of gear? Uh, what what brought you to CCM? 
Actually, that's a, that's a funny question because I was not exactly like you, but I actually I grew I grew up playing hockey. So from uh, since I'm six years old, so now I'm 32, just uh, for the information. So I've been uh, surrounded by hockey my whole life for the past 26 years. I've been for CCM for the past two years actually. So um, I had a bit of a 30 to when I I reached 30 years old. I was not very happy with where I was, and I was like. You know when you you heard everyone tell you if you find a job you don't feel like work uh, you love it's it's like you you never work so uh, that was kind of my mindset uh, at 30 years old so I there was an opening at CCM and then uh, I gave it a, I gave it my best and uh, I got the I got the, the the position so I've been uh, playing hockey since I'm six again and uh, yeah I've always been uh, surrounded by hockey in my life and I, I love the sport so this is why I ended up here. Fantastic. It's actually not that different from my story. It's uh, it's where Ingol got started about 10 years ago. Um, so we've made a big step forward in these skates. I'd love to know, what's it look like to sit down and design the next generation of skate? Uh, who are the people who are involved? I know you've got different teams at CCM. Uh, how many people are involved? Like, what's, what's it look like? I, we can sort of imagine sketching out that new skate on a cocktail napkin. Uh, obviously, yeah. there's a ton of technology involved, but where, where does it begin? What does it look like? Exactly. So the skate is uh, one of the uh, most complicated component in your hockey gear. Actually, for a player, for a goalie, of course, you have all uh, all sort of other uh, complex equipment. But for the uh, player, it's always uh, the most technical one. So um, developing a product is a 16 to 20 months process. So it's a very, very long process. And uh, actually, it always starts with a brief. So uh, as a product manager, you will brief your, your team of engineers, of designers. So we have a uh, Three, de- three designers in our team. We have uh, uh, four developers, uh, one product manager. So we're a team of about ten people here working for in the in the skates department. And uh, the very first thing you need to do is actually is you, you, you got to brief your team. You got to tell them what you need uh, for your skates, uh, how you want it to to look, what features you want them to have, and then. Uh, a designer is a designer, so we'll take with what you, you'll take what you said, and then they'll start to design the skate, but. Designing a skate is not only about the look of the skate. It's it's also a lot about the components. So how do you design the toe cap? How do you design an older? So how do you design actually a skate that has no cowling? We've always built skates with uh, with cowling at CCM, and then in 2019 we're launching our very first skate without a cowling. So that's that's all the job of the designer. So um, it doesn't start on a napkin though. Uh, it does start on a computer, and then you gotta gotta design all all, uh, all of the components of the skate. So not only the look of it, look is only one uh, one part of it, but then you gotta you gotta design the tongue, you gotta build the tongue, and then the engineers they gotta make that tongue come to life. So it starts with the design on the computer, it's, uh, and uh, and then the engineers they gotta make it happen. So uh, it's a very very complex process. It's a it's a very long one also. So you gotta. You gotta test the product on the ice. You gotta test the product on the on lab, so you're sure that the, when you're putting the the skate to the market, uh, it's the best product that uh, that 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 can be. So uh, it's a very long process, and uh, there's not a single step that is not uh, being thought of for a long uh, period of time. I'm sure sure a lot of us have dreamed of building a pad or a glove or something in our in our garage or our basement over the years, but but this is an incredibly advanced piece of technology, as as you mentioned. Um, where does that brief come from? Are you getting feedback from just people internally? I know you've obviously got the pro reps out there talking to the pros, uh, product, obviously looking at other competitions, product. How how do you put that together to know where you're going to take the next generation? 
So the role of the product manager is to actually be the uh, link of the uh, feedback from the market to the uh, design and engineering team. So the brief is made from, uh, as you said, the pro comments that we're getting, the retail comments that we're getting. So any of the feedback we're getting, uh, every every single people that we're talking to about what, what needs to be done for a goalie skate. So what do you like for a goalie skate? So let's say for an example, now we're uh, in 2019, we're launching three mils uh, runners because that's that's what the market wants. They want three millimeters for their runner. Uh, also, market didn't want a skate with a cowling, so we developed a uh, a, uh, a skate with uh, with no cowling. So we have our new XSG older. We got the quick release system on it, so you can now uh, change your runner pretty easily, uh, very very quickly. So all of these the specs that we're building, all of these innovations, they come from a request from the market and the. The role of the product manager is to brief the team on what those 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 market needs are, and then the designers and the uh, development team, the engineers, they gotta make it happen. And then the factory for this is right there in Montreal. This is a whole process that's completed basically entirely in Montreal, isn't it? Yeah. So we actually we have our pro factory in Montreal. So uh, every single pro skate that you see uh, at pros whether it's uh, Sydney Crosby skates or uh, Corey Crawford skates, they all uh, come from the uh, uh, a factory near Montreal, so it's a, in a small suburb of Montreal. But we also use that factory to actually create prototypes and uh, develop uh, other products. So yes, this is where we build our pro skates, but we also use that factory to uh, develop new engineering process, uh, open new molds to, uh, to develop new, uh, new components, and uh, we use it as an R&D center also. So what's that R&D look like? I mean, how many prototypes would you go through between concept to, to final product? And and how do you get feedback on the ice for how those prototypes are evolving? Since it's a 16 to, 16 to 20 months uh, development period, of course, you got to run through a lot of prototypes. So uh, what's funny is that you can, you can uh, look into your old files and see what the very first prototype was. And then when you look at what the final product that you're put, putting on the market and you compare them, like there's a ton of differences uh, for many reasons because uh, you test them on the ice and then you realize they're they're not solid enough so you gotta go back to the drawing boards and then you improve them and then you you make sure that the new prototype is actually uh, holding uh, the uh, the usage better so uh, it, it, it's a it's a pretty long process but everything is tested on the ice everything is tested in lab also everything is focus grouped. So if you're hesitating, like should we go with that design, that type of thing, that type of thing, then my role is to go and validate that also on the market. So you can call uh, stores, you can call uh, dealers that are influent, you can uh, go to peewee tournaments and then show show stuff to some kids and then get their, their feedback. So uh, there's a lot of prototypes that are actually uh, being done. So just the one piece boot that we're having on on this uh, FT2 goalie skate. Actually, the very first time we launched a one piece boot was uh, for goalie and for players as well was in 2016. But that one piece boot actually took five years uh, to develop. So it's wow. a very very long process uh, of development. Uh, same goes for the uh, the goalie older. So uh, we had to test it uh, multiple times to make sure that we're providing the best quick release system on the market so that that blade lock technology actually would hold the uh, the runner inside the uh, the holder uh, is actually a a, a, a a mechanic lock so it's very it's a very tight uh, blade to older connection so uh, all of those those stuff were tested on the ice were tested 
in lab just to make sure that we're putting on the market uh, the most optimized product. So, of course, you got lots of variation between the initial breed that I'm giving and to the final product on the shelves. Uh, lots of uh, development have been made uh, between those uh, those two moments. I can imagine the uh, almost a Steve Jobs-like scenario at Apple here where you might have a bit of a push and pull between the designers in terms of the look of the skate versus the engineers in terms of the performance. And uh, I mean, it's a beautiful skate. We first got to see it a couple of years ago in the middle of that process. Fascinating to hear what's going on. What, what's the turnaround time uh, between feedback and then that next model in the development process? So you decide that you need to make a bit of a tweak to the holder, for example. How long before you can get a new version out on the ice to test it? So that's the, uh, I would say, the downside of uh, having a long development process like that is that the the adaptability to the market reaction sometimes can be slow on some stuff because uh, let's say for the uh, FT2 skate, uh, we're just launching it uh, like what, three months ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're getting some some feedback about the, about it, that something we should change, uh, it's it's hard to implement that feedback to the very next model because the development process is long. And if we want to change something, we always got to make sure it's validated on the ice and in lab. So uh, some, some small tweaks are easy to be done, but some bigger tweaks, of course, they take more time because everything needs to be tested. Everything needs to be long time tested also. You don't want to test that only for two weeks and then you realize that after three months of usage, uh, it's breaking, so you need to validate also a long term, long term use, a lot of usage, just to make sure that you got everything, uh, everything settled and everything figured out on the product. So that's that's the the downside of product creation. But it's not only skates, uh, and it's not only CCM. It's pretty much every single product that that's on the market. The the feedback that you're getting until the next generation sometimes can be uh can be long to implement because of all the uh, testing that are required to make sure that you're putting on the market uh, a quality product. But as you say, it's putting a quality product in the market. And one of the hallmarks we've heard from both pros and amateurs about the CCM gear is that uh, there's consistency from from pad to pad. You can you can bring a new one out after uh, six months and, and it's going to feel the same as the, the one that you were wearing earlier in the season. So kudos to you for that. Uh, so let's look specifically at the jet speed skate. And, and as I said earlier, it's not just your version of a no cowling skate. You've made some big innovations here uh, and the one piece boot for starters. And I want to talk about what's different there because I know a lot of our listeners hear one piece boot and they say, nope, there's already been one out of there. Uh, True had a one piece skate, but there was really more that boot cowling combination, wasn't it? Your your one piece boot is different. Can you Can you tell us what that is and, and what makes it unique in the industry right now? Yeah, so actually we use the lastest technology to make our one-piece boot. So uh, it's a very, very light one. So it's very important to realize how light the uh, the JetSpeed FT2 is and how light and how uh, new this technology is. So we're using really new technologies, new ways to build skate to be able to actually mold the skate 360 degrees. So that means that uh, you got a closer fit to the uh, older. Uh, you got a closer fit also on the skate. So the fact that there is no outsole, there is no glue, there is no nails. Actually, it, help, it helps you wrap better under your foot, so you, really, you feel really connected to the skate with that uh, one-piece technology. So uh, I would say that's the biggest advantage of the one-piece is how close you are uh, on, your, on, your, on your feet uh, and how perfect that fit is as well. 
I was just going to say like one thing that's just crazy. And I think it amazes every single person that, you know, is lucky enough to have an inside glimpse into our factory is seeing all of the additional steps that's required for a two piece construction compared to a one piece, all of the extra materials that need to go into it, all of the extra machinery to add those nails, to add the extra resin, the glue internally, um, and to see what the one piece product is compared to that without all of that excess material. Uh, like it's impressive when you get to actually see it in action. Yeah. Okay. I think we, we have a vision here a little bit of what that one piece construction looks like, but could we just walk it back a second and, and tell us what that traditional two piece construction looked like for you before you switched to the one piece construction, just so people can really understand what's changed. So um, when you build a traditional skate, so it's a two piece skate, you actually start with a, it looks like a sheet of paper. So it's a very, very flat uh, piece of, uh, of skin. And then you got to take the, the two extremities and then you try to wrap them. So in order to actually connect both of these, of that flat piece of sheet, mm-hmm. you need to actually uh, use an outsole and something that's going to be under the skate to actually connect both parts of, the, uh, of that sheet of material that you're using to mold the skate. So this is where the uh, extra material and the extra actually uh, steps in creating the skate uh, comes from. Uh, versus when you have a one-piece boot, that's already a, a one-piece. So if you're looking at the skate, you can clearly see that a, it's a 360-degree uh, boot, actually. So it, it already comes into a one-piece. It already comes shaped. And all you got to do is actually, even with our custom mold process, so you can actually, we can actually, with our scanner, we can recreate your exact foot shape at the factory, and then we can mold that skate to your, your exact foot shape. So that actually is another main advantage of having a one-piece boot is how, how close we can get in terms of fit and how precise we can get in terms of custom fit as well. And yeah, and we've seen, the, seen that molding process in, in our review, and, and it really is uh, impressive. We can, we can see Kevin's bone spurs on the mold that you uh, sent us a picture of even. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's in, impressive. So Kaylee, Fred's the skate expert, uh, but you're a, you're a goaltender. It's in your blood. Um, you've you've tested these. Can you give us a little bit of an idea what the performance benefits are of the one-piece boot? Yeah, for sure. So I think the biggest thing, just looking at the skate as a whole, and that includes the one-piece and it includes the new holder system, is that when you look at goalies and how they play and just the evolution of goalie training that you, know, you guys are experts in, it's evolved so so much to focus on skating like it amazes me when I follow all of these different coaches and programs on Instagram and seeing some of the drills that these goalies are doing that you know I wasn't doing 10 or 15 years ago Um, and so we look at our skate and what we were able to do to cater to that Um, I think the biggest thing is going to be with the one-piece boot you're not only getting such a great fit advantage you're also getting that explosive energy transfer by removing all of the extra materials that were underneath your foot. It's now a seamless connection. So you think about how, especially for a goalie, every millisecond counts. So if you can just get that extra advantage with every push that you make, every attempt to go cross crease, make a big save, make an easy save, you're going to get that from this type of construction. And I think that's really huge for any goalie. Fantastic. And in the feature interview that we have to go along with this uh, edition of the podcast, we're talking to Eric Comrie, and he began his career as a goaltender as a, as a young kid at public skates, just skating for an hour without pucks. And, and today, at this time of year, um, 
he's just beginning to see pucks now. He's only been skating without pucks uh, because it's such a foundation uh, to his game, both as a youngster and as a pro. So it's an interesting tie in there. So the the one piece boot obviously is is a big step forward for you. Um, let's let's just talk a little bit more. We touched on the custom process, but you've got a few different levels of custom available. Uh, what do those look like, and and what's a little bit different about your custom process? Yeah, so we got actually two custom options to uh, to please the uh, the consumers. So we have the first one that we call the 3D custom mold. So what we're doing actually is we're taking a stock FT2 skate. So uh, you could be in store and then you try the FT2 skate. And then uh, you want it to be the close to your foot. You want it to be perfectly molded to your foot. So uh, you can use our 3D fit scanner uh, application on uh, in, in store. We can scan your feet 360 degrees. So we really go get the, the tip of the toes, the ankle. And, that, and what's very important is that we're capturing the ankles. Uh, and that's that's very important because we've all seen people with pressure points at ankles, uh, bone spurs and ankles. So it's very, very important to use actually the ankle. So when you're when you're molding a 2D skate and you're using a last, uh, uh, so the last is actually the material that you're using to mold a skate. Uh, it has no ankle at all. So you cannot mold a skate without an ankle. So what our process allows us to do is actually capture 360 degree and 100% of your foot. So from the tip of the toes, to your ankle, so we we really capture every single thing, uh, your arch and everything. So then you submit that order to the factory, and with the scan that you made on the iPad, we can reproduce that exact foot shape in our uh, factory where we build our our pro skate. So we take that uh, that new mold that we, of your foot that we've created, and then we mold uh, the FT2, the stock FT2 version, uh, to your exact foot shape, and then we ship that we ship that back in ten business. 10 business days. So in 10 business days, you got perfectly fitted skates uh, to your exact foot shape, molded out of your exact foot shape, shipped back to the store. So that's option number one. And then option number two is actually total custom plus. So we can create the skate from A to Z according to your needs. So if you need extra stiffness, uh, if you want advanced facing because you really like your, your skates when they wrap a lot around your, your foot, uh, or you have a bigger foot volume and you need more uh, more facing options. So the facing options actually at the eyelet level. So when you're adding material on top of the eyelet, so that actually when you're you're lacing your skates, you have more material on top of your foot and then you feel more wrap. Uh, so that's the the facings. Uh, you can add, as I said, uh, stiffness layers uh, around, let's say, the eyelets. So you want them to be stiffer at the at certain area of your skate. You can do that. Uh, let's say you want to oversize the toe cap, so you like when you have more spaces at the toe uh, at the toe level. So you oversize your toe cap. Uh, you can pick your tongue. So we have uh, three different tongue options. So you really build the skate as you wish it to be built. So uh, and then again with that 3D fit scanner uh, application, uh, same process. So we scan your foot just like we do with the pro. Actually, it's the exact same process as we do with uh, with the pros. You scan the feet, and then we reproduce that uh, exact foot shape at the uh, factory, and then we mold the skates that we built according to your uh, to your needs and according to your uh, your request, and then we mold that skate to your exact foot shape, and then we can ship that back in uh, in four weeks. So these are the two options. So you have the 3D custom mold process where you take a stock FT2 skate. So let's say you try and store the FT2 goalie skates. Love the fit, love everything, but you wanted to mold it to your foot. We can do that, and then if you want to change some uh, some things on your skate, you want to change your thong, you want to advance the facings, you want more wrap and.
stuff like that. And you can as a, you can do that as well uh, with our Tool Custom Plus options. It's basically like taking your Eflex 4 customizer and you finally get to apply it to a skate. So what more could you want, right, Dave? Oh, incredible. I can... Uh... The, the number of hours we spend drilling over options with gear and you've just given us one more possibility. Uh, just before we, we finish up here, because we've been with you for a while here now, uh, the holder. You, you've made a bit of a change to the holder. Um, I think one of the great innovations is the removable blade uh, that's been around for a while now. And, and your version of this, though, is a bit of a change because we've also seen them popping out on the ice in NHL games. Uh, what have you done different with your holder to, to try and deal with that situation? And, and also, does it have a performance effect as well? So as you mentioned, um, that's in fact a system that we've seen uh, for a couple of years now. So we knew that by being second to the market with that type of holder, we had to come up with not only a great quick release holder, but the best quick release holder on the market. And the reason uh, and the way we did that it actually is with our blade lock system. So the blade lock system is actually what locks the blade inside the holder. So as you mentioned, uh, we've all seen a blade pops out of the uh, runner. We have even witnessed that in the playoffs, uh, last, uh, not last year, but two years ago. Uh, goalie went mad crazy uh, to a referee trying to throw his steel at him. <laughs> we, we, all, we all remember that scene. And that scene actually will not happen with our new XSG holder because we have that blade lock system. And that blade lock system, so whenever you put your hands on the FT2, just take a look at it. So the dial system that you see at the at the heel of the uh, of the of the holder, just undial it and see how high quality and how rigid that screw that's locking the blade inside the holder is, and you'll understand right away why it's locking uh, very very securely and very tightly inside the holder. So that blade lock system is actually that mechanical lock that screw that's actually uh, holding the uh, runner inside the holder and that gives a, bl uh, a tight blade to older connection and uh, Kelly talked about the uh, energy transfer of the one-piece boot which is the major benefit of the one-piece boot but by having also that tight blade to older connection by having that runner that's very very securely inside your older you have you maximize your energy being transferred because your your runner is not loose in your older so you're not losing any any energy there so it's very important to actually combine the best energy transfer boot to the best energy transfer older and then with that you got you got a perfect uh, you got a perfect match and one thing that you know full credit to our team in our lab we have a ton of different testing options for impact. Um, so what we can do for our masks, you know, we can now start to apply to our skates as well. So, you know, you can see those guns firing up to, I don't know, Fred, what are we testing at? Like uh, 100 miles per hour. Yeah. yeah. So 100 miles an hour firing off that holder over and over and over again. So, you know, I would hope that Shea Weber is never winding <laughs> up and shooting at the bottom of my foot from like six feet out. But if it ever happens and I'm in that scenario, I have the confidence to know that everything's going to stay in one place. So um, <laughs> it's cool to, to see that in action. And, you know, we're just a small part of it. But even uh, for our CCM morning hockey, we get to try out the skates. And the field testing team is always asking us, you know, take any pictures, show us any puck marks, uh, just to continue to validate on, on it as well. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and you can take a look actually at uh, CCM's hockey Instagram. Uh, we showed a uh, slow a slow motion video of uh, the pucks at 100 miles per hour hitting the holders, uh, and you can see how securely the uh, the runner uh, remains in the uh, inside uh, the holder. So that's a uh, that's very cool. You can see all the slow mo uh, slow mo action 
of the testing at 100 miles per hour being done on our older and uh yeah great results nice we'll, we'll we'll get a link to those videos up in the show notes for this and i mean we, we've had an opportunity to visit that lab and it really is uh, impressive that the work that's happening in there to, to know all the different divisions in that building that are coming together to make the next generation of gear uh, for all of us is fantastic we've gone over the design process we've gone over the build process uh some of the new innovations in the in the JetSpeed FT2. Uh, is there anything we're missing? Maybe the fact that that's actually the first time we're launching a JetSpeed skate. So that's a, so for 2019, if you're looking at the goalie skate we're launching, it has a one-piece boot. It has, it has a new older without cowling. It has a quick-release older, and that's our new JetSpeed line. So JetSpeed for uh, player skates was very, very appreciated. That was one of our uh, fastest-growing line, actually, in the player skates. So we transferred that all that momentum, all that uh, that lighthouse family into our uh, goalie skates. That uh, And for us, jet speed is all about quickness. It's all about light skates. And when you're looking at light skates, uh, just by changing the uh, the older, we're shaving 150 grams out of that skate. And as as we as we talked about the uh, development process of a skate, we're we're always looking to ways to shed three to five grams on, on stuff here and there. So when you can save 150 grams per skate in just one easy easy way, actually by changing the older, that's huge. So that's a huge weight saving that we have right there. So it's 150 grams that you just shed just by snapping your fingers when, when we're always fighting about grams. And then when you can shave that that much uh, that much weight, that's huge for us. So um, yeah, I would say 2019 skate for, for CCM, the FT2 goalie is the full package. Exciting year. And when, when I hear about that 150 grams, I don't know, I'm just thinking back to childhood when we were doing skating drills with the entire team. And of course, the goalies are always coming up the rear. So I uh, wish I had a pair of those skates on my feet way back then. Yeah. Thank you both uh, very much. Listeners, get a chance to check out the CCM JetSpeed FT2. We've got the review on our site. Uh, we've actually got a little video there of that uh, new holder mechanism working. Uh, you can hear the sound of that ratcheting in there that keeps it so secure. Uh, lots of fantastic innovations. Of course, as always, you can also check uh, it out with our friends at the Hockey Shop in Surrey, BC, uh, who kindly sponsor this podcast and this gear segment every week. Uh, Fred, Kaylee, thank you so much from everybody. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Boy, somebody's going to be jealous as they listen to this episode. Well, actually, two people, Cam, Cam and Woody, are, are going to be sitting there going, <laughs> We have to we have to raise our game because uh, Hutch, you, you did a great job there. You you've heard about this uh, the skate, and you've uh, you've talked to Woody about its performance. What fascinates you the most, or what are you looking forward to the most uh, when you get your wheels? Uh, well, sure, yeah, we we saw it actually early on in development, uh, more than a year ago. Uh, in the middle of the process, we've walked through that lab where they fire hundred mile an hour pucks at the skate to see how it how it holds up under development. And I've, I was there when Woody took his, uh, for his first skate and what fascinates me, um, the one piece boot technology, I'm, I'm curious to see how that's, uh, going to be received and, and what that feels like, but gotta be the fit. I mean, I, I don't know in my life that I've had a pair of skates that fit absolutely properly. And, uh, to see that custom molding process that they go through, uh, would love to, to do that. Um, is it just a little weird that when I see that molded foot uh, in the factory that I imagine I wish they'd send that to me so I could keep that as well? No, because you and <laughs> I are 
you, you know what? You and I are hockey hoarders. That's yeah. what you and I are. And yeah. we will we will take every little piece of uh, of memorabilia or or experiences if, if they're physical and and put them on our shelves. I've I, I see your bookshelf. I see your man cave. And yeah. and you you might be slightly more unique than I am. Yeah, well, there's a there's a couple of CCM pad cores sitting behind me too. Not not the pad <laughs> themselves, but that foam core at the heart of it that uh, we used as part of a research project here. And uh, that's just one piece going right back to my high school gear from Cooper as well. Yeah, lots. It's fun to hoard those things, and uh, I love the old stuff, but I love technology too. So I can't wait to get my feet in a set of those skates too. I will say I I have had the uh, the the molded skate and I've yep. been using it for uh, a little bit. Uh, mine's uh, the the true the VH, and yep. uh, you will you will not believe the difference in just pure comfort. And yeah. uh, and I've always had had feet uh, that are sore coming off uh, off a practice or an ice session and uh, or a, or a game, and it 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 it's life changing as. As Colby Armstrong says, he's not a goalie, but he but he uses that that same technology, and uh, he just says it's like wearing slippers. And uh, I doubted that, and it's it's true. So I'm very excited for uh, for when you get to, a chance to to put your feet in that, and I'm even more excited to uh, to see your mold and uh, and a signature of uh, of Hutch and his, and his the mold <laughs> of his foot. And uh, we, we there's a Halloween thing that we can do during during that as well. Uh, before we uh, before we go, uh, this has been uh, a, a lot of fun, a lot of uh, learning, a lot of uh, um, exposure to to the mind game. And do you think uh, do you think Eric Comrie is is slightly uh, more fragile but open uh, mentally, or do you think he's just bluntly honest and everybody else doesn't share their true uh mental part of the game uh the the latter i think it's yeah i think it's it's unfair to call him fragile for being honest um you know i as i think i said to you earlier um when we met with uh john stevenson and pete fry in vancouver at their their goalie mindset workshop uh john was recounting a story of Braden Holpe, not so much a story, but but experiences with Braden Holpe, saying, "Look, focus isn't about being completely on for all sixty minutes of the game. Uh, the reality is that in a good game, he's going to lose focus ten times, and in a bad game, he's going to lose focus forty-five times, or twenty-five times, whatever the number doesn't matter. Um, the reality is we all lose focus, and and I think in a similar way, I think Eric sharing that he got nervous in certain times, feels pressure in certain times, I, I think that's real too. Um, I, I think maybe there's the odd guy out there that really does never find himself nervous, but, but I'd be surprised uh, if many NHL goaltenders could tell us that they didn't feel nervous at all the first time they skated out onto an NHL rink. Um, yeah, I think it's just open and honest, and I and I love to hear it. We need to hear more of that uh, in the media, and I think we need to to be a little easier on guys when they do share things with us, so that they will continue to be open. So fragile may not be the right word, but more vulnerable. Uh, I'm not sure what the uh, the best way to to describe it. Yeah, I, I I don't know. To to me, like I said, to me it was just honesty, and and I think it's uh, what related him to us because we're all going to feel the same thing. Gosh, I've felt nervous in a beer league game before. Not, it's crazy, but the results matter to all of us, I guess. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure Eric wouldn't feel nervous in my beer league games, though. You felt nervous in a beer league game? 
Well, yeah, I mean, come on. It's a championship game and a shootout. It matters. Okay, Hutch, Hutch, yeah. I, I, I do too. So, yeah. but I thought I was the I thought I was the only one. No, no. And, and I, I don't know if Woody gets nervous, but I know his team gets nervous when he plays. Yeah, I, I also there was one part of this podcast that uh, that I wanted to mention. Um, the fact that you were there when Woody took his first strides in the uh, in the jet speed and the, the, the skate that you talked about, I think that that's such a wonderful uh, just summary of your relationship. And you as you, you you as the dad of the Ingle Radio podcast, oh. and 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 Woody and I as the as the kids. I just think it's beautiful that you were there for his first strides. Oh, that's yeah, that's funny. That's an interesting analogy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this the first time you and I have uh, have hosted the entire show without? I think Woody? it's the first time we've been solo. Yeah, I think we should do it again. Yeah, let's shut him out. Just uh, just uh, food for thought. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for. Uh, uh, joining us as well, you the listener and uh, and everybody at CCM for uh, for taking the uh, time and making uh, the uh, the skate and the uh, the technology available for us to try out and uh, pass along our thoughts and uh, and our experiences uh, to you the listener and uh, also uh, Eric Comrie for sharing his thoughts and being so so honest and it just makes you want to uh, follow his career more. We we root for him. Uh, we we want goaltenders to have the best possible experiences and uh, and those people that come on here and and pass along their thoughts and uh, and what they've been through is uh, is just a great look behind the curtain. Uh, he's uh, he's making strides. He's always had that little stumble when he first goes up a level as you heard him say and uh, and it's got to make you think that, that that he's just ready to break through and become that brick wall that uh, we've all uh, waited for him to become in the National Hockey League. I'm Darren Millard, and you've been listening to In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. 